Hello, my bosser bilingual babies. How are you doing today? It's lovely to be here. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode 169. Yes, 100 episodes ago, we had our infamous 69 episode, where everything was 69. And it was also, I think it also coincided with the snow, Snowmageddon, when we had like two foot of snow in Denver and my poor little dog Jack had to sort of bury a tunnel out for him. I was very fearful of the fence falling over. There was so much snow pressing against it. And people ridiculed me, ridiculed me for thinking that the fence may indeed tumble over with all the weight of snow, two foot of snow. I mean, that's like 20 sumo wrestlers pressing up against the fence and uh, it could have tumbled down. The whole house of cards could have come tumbling down. But it didn't. But that was episode 69, last March, the Snowmageddon episode. Go and tune in. There's a whole back catalogue of episodes. I mean, if I stop today, if I don't know, I I, uh, hit the mighty sort of mortal coil today, or if I decided that I was going to become a monk and not talk for an entire year, I'd do my matins in silence. I'd become a Benedictine monk, wear a sackcloth, I'd whip my back, I'd live with the bare basics and just a lovely Benedictine liqueur. That would be my whole life, my whole world. And obviously the pursuit of God, but Benedictine liqueur is uh, a little bit more important than the Almighty maybe, who knows. Maybe you need a nip of it to, 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 to hear the signals from the Almighty, I don't know. But anyway, here we are. As happy as can be, all good friends and jolly good company once again uh, on the podcast. And it's uh, marvellous to be. It's another Friday. So here we are just uh, tapping our fingers slowly, moving them a little faster, 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 drumming them on the table towards the weekend here. And it's so lovely to have you here. It's uh, a beautiful day. We've, uh, I think we had maybe 10 or 11 consecutive days where I think it was four degrees Fahrenheit and every single day since then it's gone up in temperature. I think the peak was 74 degrees, but we're coming back to typical Colorado weather where we're going to have the situation of uh, the temperature dropping like 60, 70 degrees again. March is a beast. That's what they always say, isn't it? comes in like a lamb and goes out like a beast or is it like comes in like a beast and goes out like a lamb i cannot remember but yeah this is our sort of heaviest snowfall season here in the lovely state of uh, colorado hope you're having a good week now this podcast is really a sort of getaway type of podcast i've got a little story i'll tell you later that um I, I saw my, my mother sent to me from somebody I went to school with. Um, so uh, he is in Berlin, his wife is Ukrainian, and they had to go and rescue her family, basically. Um, so it's sort of a fascinating uh, story, incredibly sad what's going on. Um, but you know, sometimes you have to step away from your bubble, which is this uh, British almighty uh, type of. Uh, expat patriotic english podcast whatever you want to call it and just say look this is absolutely despicable what's going on and here's 
a story very close to my heart, but this is somebody that I even used to know. And many of us know people who are out there. And it's, uh, I mean, it's the early sort of beginnings of sort of genocide that's going on out there. But anyway, we've got that. But the rest of the time, I promise you, we'll bundle you up with a load of nonsense. We'll wrap you in a scarf of ridiculousness and uh, really fill you up with comedy carb delight on the podcast today. And it's my lovely uncle. Uh, it's uh, his birthday today. It's, uh, I think, what is he? Is he 69 today? I'll tell you something, that would, be, that, would be, that would be symmetrical if he was 69 today. Uh, but happy birthday to Uncle John. He is the really the Billy Joel. Or Billy, <laughs> I got it wrong here. Why do I say Billy Joel? Billy Joel of East Anglia. Very good at tinkling the old ivories. So I don't know if any of you have um, sort of been keeping yourself to yourselves for the last two years. So I think I probably have been out maybe a handful of times uh, since last summer. And before that, I mean, 2020 was sort of a write-off. You had that sort of lull during the summer period. And I remember going to a biker bar in my pink uh, sort of crimson trousers. Uh, and uh, it was called Brewskies. And there was a bunch of bikers there. And there was me looking very, very preppy. And there was a sort of look, so, hey, what, what are you doing, bro? Why, why, are you wearing the, why are you wearing the pink pants? Yeah, I did. really wasn't fitting in heavy metal. Uh, biker bar and pink trousers do not go very, very well. Uh, but, you know, they did have a gin and tonic. I mean, it tasted a little bit like turpentine, uh, but they did have a gin and tonic. So I, I tried that and uh, I did escape with my life that day. But I haven't been out that much over the course of the last couple of years. So my immunity is awful. So I sort of went out the other day and uh, decided to go and do some proper work and mix with people again. And I, I sort of had a bit of a double whammy, a little bit of a cold, and um, yeah, not feeling the greatest, a little bit green around the gills as well. Now, I, I feel fine today, but you know, this podcast is really the uh, elixir of my existence and life. This gets me going. I think it's almost like adrenaline. It's like steroids to me, audio steroids. And hopefully it is to you, or maybe you see it as a tranquilizer. Maybe we're just like a big old horse pill. You stick up your bum and it sends you to sleep. That's pretty possible, I suppose. You don't know. I mean, I would hazard a guess. But I mean, I think we, I may need to go in a hazmat suit. Hazardous material suit just to protect myself. I don't think the mask is enough. Because I think my immunity is shot. I mean, would the emergency, would that powdered vitamin C drink, would that help me in this in this situation? I may have to snort the stuff because uh, <laughs> I, I tell you, it, it's uh, it's quite a whole new world. And I was sucking on a honey lollipop. Now, isn't that a good idea? We get all these little lollipops you get as a child, but the uh, the honey lollipop is a is an absolute wonder when it comes to uh, a new type of uh, a new type of treat, the lubrication of the throat, but. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to get the haz, hazmat suit and uh, maybe wear it out and about. Um, maybe scrubs, maybe full industrial uh, nuclear helmet to protect me. 
because I have the uh, constitution of a very delicate Disney princess at the moment. And I think I'm going to shake it off. I think any little bit of uh, stardust or fairy dust will uh, probably make me go to sleep or make me get me sick. But I need to sort of manfully plow on here. Maybe smother myself up, as my grandfather would say, with a load of goose grease. But I mean, you don't want to be... I mean, I imagine if you're sweating and, and you're dripping goose grease everywhere, it could be very slippery. It could be a little bit stinky. And, uh, well, thank God we're not shaking hands, but you'd have a very oily hand. You'd, look, you'd, you'd be like a goose grease salesman. Similar to the snake oil salesman, but much worse, I think. And you don't really want to smell like oily feathers, I don't think. I don't think it's a good, uh, a good smell, uh, a particularly good impression that you would create. Yes, uh, yes, don't mind me. I'm uh, smothered myself in the, in the goose grease. It's very good for you, you know, and you need a spoonful. A spoonful of goose grease makes the medicine go down. Why did you try it? I have a jar here. You can put it all over yourself. Rub it into your feet first. Rub it into those cloven trotters of yours first. You know, I think that's the only way I'm going to survive in this whole new world. Hazmat suit and just caked with goose grease. Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today on the podcast. And this isn't a laundry list. If this was a laundry list, then uh, it would be like a list of lots of lost socks and lost underpants. Have you ever lost your have you ever lost your undercrackers in the wash, though? I don't think I have yet, but mine are not as minimal. It's not like I walk around wearing a man thong or anything. Because I imagine they can get lost, you know, they can get stuck up the trouser leg. You see a lot of ladies suddenly appear with a piece of very flimsy underwear around their heels. That's never happened to me yet. Not when I'm wearing heels anyway. But today on the podcast, or possibly over the weekend, and again... We're free for all here. We might have a subject that I I put together or thought of in the middle of the night six weeks ago and it suddenly pops into my head again or I find it. There's no rigor. There's no practices here. We just like to mush it all into the cauldron, give it a stir, maybe a little taste test along and, uh, and see what pops out. And normally it's a delicious, meaty concoction for you. But... Have you ever been in a situation where your partner's been on a mattress pad, uh, you were devoid of the mattress pad, and the mattress pad was almost like a Mount Everest? We'll be talking about that as well. Uh, Also, I met a fabulous chap the other day, real character, real Italian character, uh, driving an Uber the other day. Fascinating fella. Not my politics, but you know what? As Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, you used to say you need to sort of break bread don't you you have to be able to sit down and have a chat and work out your disagreements and i think that's what we're missing today lovely fellow though country music on the radio mixed with hard rock country music coming out of one speaker and then your ears you've got hard rock really doesn't work it's like oil and water talking about that as well have you ever had one of those um water pick things you know the thing that flush out your teeth you know, if you've got a gappy sort of uh, smile, British teeth or whatever, maybe there's maybe the water pick doesn't do that much good. But the wonderful things. You could probably clean any sort of sidewalk. Uh, it's that powerful in terms of the jet of water that comes out. 
And I only realised that the other day, because something happened. We'll be talking about that. Uh, also, what's wrong with having a picture of a dog in military regalia? We'll be talking about that as well. And as I said, I feel a little bit green around the gills. Okay, have you ever tried some tingly mint uh, bath wash, conditioner, whatever you want to call it? Person Trump or Trombone, and we have a Rate My Plate where we look at some of the most awful dishes. And some of them actually look really nice. There was a lovely sort of sloppy vindaloo the other week, and it was incredibly tempting. I just want to pay a quick tribute to one of the greatest characters in sport. I mean, this guy was probably the greatest of all time, and I know that's thrown around a lot these days. But Shane Warne died this morning, heart attack at 52, incredibly sad. I mean, what a rambunctious, cheeky, fascinating character he was. And you don't often get uh, sportsmen who are complete mavericks. They keep their sort of maverick um, uh, cheekiness and creativity but also incredibly successful as well. And they have so much passion. It's rare that you get that because a lot of mavericks sort of start well and, you know, tumble off and not do so well over the years. But Warren was truly a force of nature. He was one of the best cricketers, I think, ever to be born. I mean, he was a wonderful spinner. He was terrifying, I think, to face. I mean, I watched so much cricket in the 1990s and he really tormented England. I mean, anybody who can spin a ball, ball past Mike Gatting after he's had tea is, uh, is tremendous. But incredibly sad news. And I loved listening to him as well. There's so much passion. There was so much passion and performance about Warren. And uh, may he rest in peace. And uh, hopefully he's spinning a few googlies. Or one of his uh, Karen balls. He always came up with a brand new ball just before a series that he thinks would uh, threaten and confuse and uh, mystify the batsman. And it's exactly what he was. He was mystifying, wonderful, a true maverick, a true delight. All hail the mighty cauliflower, king of the vegetable. No fashionable menu is without cauliflower these days, whether roasted, fried, blackened. This is from Julia Crouch in the London Times. It can be riced, it can be cut into steak, it can be deep fried in a delicate batter and turned into tempura. It can be roasted whole and take the place of chicken or lamb. It can be wings, popcorn. If you don't believe it, it can even be ground up and made into pizza. Cauliflower has many things, seemingly everything. But there is one thing it's not going to be going away anytime soon. The humble vegetable once only good for swamping in cheese, yes, keep calm and cauliflower cheese, or serving as a boring crudite, has undergone the most glamorous of glow-ups. I'd be willing to bet a lifetime supply of things that there isn't a single small plate uh, restaurant in London that hasn't featured the currently very cool crucifier on its menu in the last five years. At first, the obsession was the whole roast. It comes out brilliantly burnished, if not brain-like, and it can be pepped up beforehand with a dry rub and afterwards with a cool yogurt dip or spicy sauce. Stick a knife in it, sprinkle a little coriander and maybe a little pomegranate season. You've got an impressive centerpiece. Now chefs have beyond moved beyond the roast uh, there's a new uh, restaurant, Aubrey, a Japanese, is a car in Knightsbridge serving charcoal cauliflower carage, a veggie take on the Japanese fried chicken dish whereby cauliflower is covered in a black charcoal coating and served with a zingy zuzu mayo. 
at Ham Yard, a Swiss hotel in Soho. Customers are going to order like a KFC and it's Korean fried cauliflower. That sounds absolutely tremendous. The recipe, which normally involves frying battered cauliflower, then immersing it into a wickedly delicious sauce made of garlic, sugar, mirin, soy sauce, and gochang, a popular Korean chili paste. Yes, spicy cauliflower. I love the tempura. Love it in a pakora, an Indian pakora as well. It's not just restaurants that cauliflower is taking place. At Waitrose, sales are up 10% on last year. And on Instagram, Yotan Alongi's second highest viewed recipe is cauliflower salad. Now that sounds absolutely fabulous too. So cauliflower is a scent to the king of veg back in 2013 new york magazine decided the vegetable most likely to be mistaken for a piece of meat also you know the mushrooms as well give the mushrooms their their, their place and since then the trend for slicing it thickly and griddling it like a steak turning it into wings has truly taken off and everywhere it's cooked a variety of ways fried roasted steamed and also in salads the lifelong cauliflower and cookbook author sabrina Geyer says the secret to its wild success is its texture I'm a meat eater, so I'm not trying to create substitutes. But if you are, cauliflower is perfect. It holds its shape, offers texture and volume, and you can serve it as a main dish where you wouldn't uh, say a cabbage. Absolutely delicious. Sabrina's recipes, cauliflower, steam it, add salt and pepper, olive oil, absolutely delicious. Finely slice using a mandolin and eat it in a salad too. Cauliflower as a centerpiece is nothing new for some cuisines. In Syria, there's a Al-Anambad in Ahmad's Syrian kitchen in Soho. Makes it a centerpiece of the plate here. I honestly love everything about cauliflowers, but they've been in love in Syria forever. Yeah, sort of a meatiness about it as well, but I do love myself. Roasted cauliflower with a little cheesy bechamel. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese, baby. So I had the situation in the week where my lovely, delightful girlfriend had a mattress pad, but it could only fit on three quarters of the bed. Now, I only sleep on a quarter of the bed anyway, because I'm so skinny and svelte. <clears throat> but yeah, the mattress pad was on one side. So she was perfectly comfortable on one side. And the mattress is fine. I was perfectly comfortable on my side. But she was the Everest right on top of the summit, I was basically in the foothills of the Himalayas. I needed a rope, a hook to get up there. I'm serious, a man of 45, you can't go scaling like steep mattress pads. You could do yourself a terrible injury to get up there. I needed my, I needed my sort of cleats on or possibly uh, the uh, yak tracks, but like, you know, to get some traction, to climb up there, to struggle up there, to claw my way, nail my way up there. But you know what? Here's the thing for you. For all you ladies out there, you're just thinking, oh, God, I'm too tired for any fun tonight. I'm just I'm absolutely exhausted. I, I don't think I could possibly consider any shenanigans, any, any how's your father tonight? No. Yeah, if you, if you seriously feel so tired and you, and, you know, get yourself a mattress pad, a little bit of an incline, well, pretty steep incline in this case, it's a perfect form of contraception. So I just want to tackle something that I saw on uh, on Twitter the other day. So you've got your butter. Now I do like my original blocks of butter that were as hard as basically an anvil. Have you ever tried to spread butter? It's impossible isn't it? 
And if you put it in the microwave and then you basically got a golden pool, uh, a river of butter, and that's never going to do anybody good. I mean, you can you could just drain it onto the toast and that's pretty fantastic, isn't it? But I don't think I've ever found a butter that I can spread. If it says spreadable, if it says spreadable on the container or on the label, these people are lying to you because butter is never spreadable. If it says it's spreadable and you try to put it on there, you're basically going to have damaged toast. The bread is going to be pulled apart. There's going to be whole gaping holes in your bread and toast when you try to put this spreadable butter on. It doesn't exist. Try it. Or tell me what the perfect number of minutes, not minutes, seconds, in the microwave that you're to put it in to get it to per spread perfectly. Because I'm either got a rock hard piece of granite that you know you need a chainsaw to cut and probably a chainsaw to spread, or you've got a butter river. Which, you know what? I think if I was ever gonna do the Augustus Gloop, I would do the chocolate river first. But right behind that, I think I would do the butter. A dairy, a dairy sort of laden pool of delight. But I can't believe it's not butter. If, 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 if it can spread, then it's not butter. That's the key. So try this weekend. Try to find yourself a container that says spreadable butter and not do everlasting heinous damage to your toast. We do love some birds on uh, keep calm and cauliflower cheese. But here's one for you. Two for joy. Australian magpies pair up to shed tracking devices. Nobody likes being spied on. And Australia's magpies are no exception. They're extremely rare species. Researchers found that magpies will help each other to remove tracking devices from their backs. Such actions known to scientists as rescue behavior have only been observed uh, in one other bird species, Seychelles warblers, which help each other to escape sticky seed clusters. Anyway, researchers in Queensland fitted a group of uh, 10 magpies, yeah, 10, believe it or not, 10 magpies uh, with tiny GPS tracking devices designed to charge wirelessly at a bird feeding station. The station was also equipped with a magnetic device which when activated triggered the release of the harness holding the tracker. The tracking system, the first of a kind, meant the birds would not have to have additional weight of a tiny battery, little tiny battery, little, it's only little tiny battery operated devices. Uh, however, the magpies, highly intelligent birds, known for recalling the faces of people they consider a threat and swooping on them. I don't think they just swoop, they swoop and poop, I think. Less than 10 minutes after the final magpie has been fitted with a tracker, a female adult without a tracker removed the harness of the younger bird using her beak. Within hours, most of these trackers have been removed as the birds gathered on power lines and trees. The birds needed to problem solve, possibly testing at pulling and snipping at different sections of the harness with their bill. They also needed to willingly help other individuals. The only other similar type of this behavior will be found in the literature that was that of the Seychelles warblers helping release others in their social group from the sticky Pisnonia seed clusters. That's a terribly sticker situation. This is very rare behavior termed rescuing. The team in Queensland said they had returned to their drawing boards to devise alternative ways of tracking magpies. 
I mean, you, I think what you could do is you put a tracking device uh, inserted into a gold ring or an amulet or something like that. But they like stealing those sort of things. They take them back to their nest. It's a perfect way to track the magpie. You get a Cartier watch. Just slip that little tracker in there. And that magpie, when it comes and steals that watch off you, it's like those Rolex uh, Rolex burglars who are stealing those watches off all those rich gentlemen. They're sort of like the female version of, uh, of magpies, aren't they, really? Thank God that ex-cons don't have enough little grey cells when they get together to think about taking off those ankle bracelets. Because if they had the intelligence of the magpies, you'd have uh, people like popping off those ankle bracelets in no time with a slip of a wrist. That's what the showman said. So we're all watching the atrocity that's going on in Ukraine at the moment. I just wanted to break away uh, from our usual flummery and uh, just talk about uh, what's going on in the Ukraine. And, and we're, watching, uh, we're watching it on television. I've got BBC World on, which is fantastic, by the way, in terms of giving sort of uh, very unbiased coverage. A lot of sort of social media type of inserts and interactions as well uh, from both sides just seeing what's really going on. But this brought it home. I knew this fellow who went to my school. Uh, he lives in Berlin. His wife's Ukrainian. And um, this really brings it home. It hits it home when it's somebody that you that you actually know. And he, he posted this. Yesterday, we picked up my wife's family. They just completed a drooling journey, which began over three days after they fled a bomb shelter near their home in central Kiev. Just 1,000 of ordinary families forced to flee their homes and leave everything, including, like in our case, their adult male relatives behind. It's safe to say that I never imagined I would refer to members of my own family as refugees, but I guess that's where we are. So why? So that Vladimir Putin can denationalize and denazify Ukraine. That's what he and his propaganda machine tells us. This is undoubtedly go down as one of the greatest lies of history, causing the largest humanitarian crisis on our continent since World War II, with vast suffering, death, misery, along wanton destruction of cultural treasures and monuments, and where might it go next? Beyond the destruction and subjugation of this wonderful nation is something too terrifying to contemplate. You see, for Vladimir Putin, uh, my relatives, they do not deserve a homeland, unless the, the homeland is called Russia and ruled over by him and his vicious kleptocracy. And unless he gets what he wants, he's determined to erase Ukraine and its people from the face of the earth, man by man, woman by woman, child by child. On the same day that my wife's family fled Kiev, another family from the same part of the city had the same desperate goal. Their little girl was called Polina. She was nine years old. Russian saboteurs intercepted their vehicle and gunned the family down. I ask you not to believe any of the talking points about how NATO and the West provoked this onslaught of unbridled savagery. This caused solely by the man who sits atop the Russian government and commands its army. One despicable and twisted ideologue on a perverted mission that makes no rational sense politically, historically or morally. We're in a fortunate position, thanks also to the incredible generosity of friends and colleagues, that we can put a roof over our family's head and help them to adjust to life in Germany until it's safe to return to Ukraine. But hundreds and thousands of other families and individuals are displaced, utterly traumatised, and in desperate need of help. Wouldn't it be lovely if we could just give peace a chance?
A cheating medical student in India had Bluetooth bugs sewn into his ear. An Indian medical student had a Bluetooth device surgically implanted in his ear to cheat what was his last chance to pass his final exams. The speaker was detected after examiners found a phone that the student had concealed in a secret pocket of his trousers and linked to the device. He admitted that he had had a skin-coloured device implanted by ear, nose and throat surgeon. According to the local reports, he had the student enrolled in the Mahatma Gandhi uh, Memorial Medical College in Indura about 11 years ago and failed to clear the final exams numerous times. Vinit Pushkar, the ENT specialist in Mumbai, said, I suppose the way we do coach uh, and, and, and put implants in children who are deaf from birth is the same technique had been used to implant this device. The implant has been taken cheating, which has become more technologically ingenious to a new level. Competition for everything from government jobs to uh, college places is fierce and cheating in India is rife. In September, five applicants for teaching jobs in Bikanar in Rajasthan were caught wearing flip-flops into which a mobile phone and Bluetooth device had been inserted. I mean, that's some chunky flip-flop action, isn't it? Some of my old loafer heels, I could probably put a, some sort of implant in there. Or you could put an implant in your implants. Why not? Headphones in the ears, let them listen to friends outside the exam center, giving them the answers. Well, I wouldn't be very good. If you had to phone a friend with a mass question... Yes, and, and uh, we're going to call Chappie here and uh, to help answer the mass question. Oh dear, you've lost £64,000 because Chappie got the question wrong. My problem when I had exams is, uh, well, I didn't need an earpiece or anything like that. I just needed to put a cork at my bottom because whenever, whenever I sat down in the exam room, I would start having the dreaded rumbly-tumbly and more flip-floppery here. Uh, flip-flops also called the poor man's shoe also called uh, I would never put them on my feet because they're a fashion disaster and also they hurt between the toes I can't have that thing between my toes here I'm sorry it doesn't work also one of the worst polluters in the ocean a leading fashion label in Paris has helped resourceful African community to step up a new range of footwear. The imaginative program is giving slum children new hope while cleaning up the environment. Each year, thousands of slip-ons wash up on the Kenya beaches, flushed out of rivers, funneled by the currents in the Indian Ocean from Asia and Australia. Ocean Soul, a social enterprise scheme, is fashioning the footwear into pieces of art, and the French designer Chloe is using recycled materials in its latest line named Lou. The Kenyan art group is handling up to a million flip-flops a year, along with tons of plastic waste. I mean, they don't hold on your feet. I can never clasp my toes together for enough time to keep them on my feet. I mean, if you have a gush of water, it's going to wash those puppies out to sea. Unless you grow like your your big toenail and then the next toe along uh, is, uh, you know, extra long and it can sort of perform some sort of gate-like thing. But then you need to form toes to like cross over and interlock. I mean, I don't see that. I mean, a lot of men do have troll's feet, though. So they buy them mostly from women who are supporting families in Nairobi, slums or coastal communities where marine litter is choking fish and preventing baby turtles from reaching the sea. We receive about 1.2 tons a week. Turn uh, this into a month and a year. It's a lot of flip-flops. 
Most are trained woodcarvers who have made redundant when the deforestation of ebony and mahogany were outlawed. Instead, they clean, glue, and sculpt vivid, non-biodegradable blocks into likeness of Africa's big five animals and other collectible pieces. They look absolutely fantastic and fabulous, uh, to say the least. My big problem, though, is obviously I'd go for probably for the male flip-flops. I don't think there's women out there with my size feet, like size 13, like size 15 in a female. But my fear is I don't really want my toes anywhere where I can imagine the fella like with a big old hairy big toe and that piece of plastic and rubber in between that's been rubbing his hairy toe again and again as he strolls down the beach. I mean, that turns my stomach. So Neighbours is finally coming to an end after 9,000 episodes. Now, this was basically as my misspent youth watching this soap opera that started in Australia in 1985, came to the UK in 1986, October. And it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's a wonderful sort of... uh, social myriad of interactions and youth and older people coming together and some real characters and i loved it i mean i think i watched it religiously probably for about four or five years and i haven't seen an episode probably since 1999 maybe i nearly watched it for like two decades and it's coming to an end I saw something on Twitter. Um, I mean, I, this has been talking about, but finally they can't find a backer to pay for it. Uh, it's coming off the air in Channel 5 in the UK. And I saw an article about uh, Mrs. Mangle. Now, she was some sort of old battle axe who lived on uh, Ramsey Street. Uh, I mean, she was, uh, she was a real character, a cantankerous old biddy, to be honest. Uh, but it said uh, memories of Mrs. Mangle practicing on her organ. This must have been an episode. I cannot remember Mrs. Mangle, nor do I want to remember Mrs. Mangle practicing on anybody's organ. But she had like a nerdy granddaughter who lived with her who dated Guy Pierce, who is now a very, very famous Hollywood actor. But so we've got 9,000 episodes coming to an end. I think on the last episode... Jason Donovan, Kylie Minogue need to get out of their car, drive into Ramsey Street and basically say we're home. And that's how the whole shebang should end. I say, Trump or trombone. I'm 53 years older than my toy boy and we've made thousands on OnlyFans. A couple with 53 years between them say joining OnlyFans has spiced up their marriage despite loved ones saying they're disgusting. Gary, 24, and Almeida, 77, from Tennessee, married in 2015 and joined the adult content platform in 2020. The couple who owns a business together say they've made so much money from OnlyFans that they've been able to pay off their debts, buy a new car, and even planning to buy a new house next year. However, they have no regrets about joining the platform. They claim their loved ones are less than impressed with how they make their extra cash. We have an excellent, stable marriage So I uh, wouldn't say it's improved our marriage, but making content for OnlyFans has definitely made our carnal lives a lot more spicy. I mean, I think there has to be a disclaimer here. Only old fogey fans. That's truly a white hair knuckle ride. And a plant-based dog food company is looking to pay a dog owner $5,000 to sniff their dog's poo over an eight-week period. 
That's going to be a long eight weeks, isn't it? The dog food brand Omni wants a successful candidate recalled their experience of moving their dog to a veterinary formulated plant-based diet. Oh my God, what an awful first week that's going to be, which will involve them smelling their dog's poo daily, possibly indicative of a digestive health. I mean, terrible trouble if you've got a long old nose to it. But anyway, as well as monitoring stools, the candidate will be also required to monitor the dog's health, energy levels and behavior. Well, that's fine. The brand states it hopes a successful candidate can start as soon as possible on a salary of 2500 a month for the two-month role uh, with the unusual poo-sniffing duty. I mean, as long as it's not scratch and sniff. I mean, can't you sort of employ other dogs to do that? And a mummified mermaid said to grant all immortality to whomever tastes its flesh will be probed by scientists in order to reveal its true nature. The creature was allegedly caught in the Pacific Ocean off the Japanese island Shikuku uh, between 1736 and 1741 is now kept in the temple city of Asakushi. With grimacing face, pointed teeth, two hands and hair on its head and brow, it's an early human appearance except for its fish-like lower half. Now researchers from the uh, Kurosuke uh, University of Science and Arts have been taking the mummy for CT scanning in a bid to unravel its mysteries. Hiroshi Kunishita of the Okayama Folklore Society came up with a project saying the mummy could have religious significance. It's said that if you eat the flesh of the mermaid, you'll never die. There's a legend in many parts of Japan that a woman accidentally ate the flesh of a mermaid and lived for 800 years. This Yobakuni legend is preserved near the temple where the mermaid mummy was found. I heard that some people believe in the legend. In the age of COVID-19, a mermaid could be an ominous portent, as folklore suggests. There's a legend that a mermaid predicted an infectious disease, a historic letter dated to 1903, apparently penned by a former owner and stored alongside the mummy, gives a story. A mermaid was caught in a fish-catching net off the Kochi Sea. The fisherman who caught it did not know it was a mermaid and took it to Osaka and sold it as an unusual fish. My ancestors bought and kept it as a family treasure. It's unclear when the mummy came to the Ujun Temple uh, in Ashuki. But chief priest Kozen Kudi said that it put a display in a glass case some 40 years ago and is now kept in a fireproof safe. I mean, that's not how I remember Daryl Hannah. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It's been absolutely super, super smashing great. Oh, you were today. And um, if you like to listen to just the audio version, so it's just me skating along in an audio fashion. Uh, slipping over on the ice probably bruising my bottom and behind quite a bit then listen on apple music slacker breaker pandora iHeartRadio. you can listen on audible amazon music many many different platforms but if you like music with your chat then you can listen uh, on the spotify butler and Poirier musical edition of the podcast where you can hear this week some billy joel some beach house you've got some cake here kylie minogue some divine comedy you've got some uh, diana ross you've got some sade some beatles some john lennon as well you've got some underworld uh, you've got some angry anderson tears for fears and if you want a DJ to save your life, you have some in deep. Coming up next, though, we do have the poem. This is Emily Dickinson. Come in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dear March, come in, how glad I am, I hope for you before. Put down your hat, you must have walked, how out of breath you are. Dear March, how are you, and the rest? Did you leave nature well, oh March, come right upstairs with me. I have so much to tell you, I've got a letter, and the birds and the maples never know that you were coming. I declare the red faces grew, but March, forgive me, and all of those hills you left me to hew. There was no purple suitable that took it all with you. Who knocks that April? Locked the door. I will not be pursued. He stayed away a year to call, and then I'm occupied. But trifles look so trivial as soon as you come that blame it just as dear as praise and praise as mere as blame. I shall return before the close of the weekend with another edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the spring weather today because we've got freezing snow and icy tundras tomorrow. Uh, So I'll be out and about uh, trying to find something that's sort of in between a heavy sweater and a a T-shirt. I have no idea what sort of attire to wear in this type of weather. But until next time, before the close of the weekend, enjoy yourselves and keep listening to Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Cheerio.